Let us take our Bibles, the precious Word of God inspired and preserved to us in our King James versions, to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord that today I do not address a church that is rife with hatred, class distinctions, cliques, and a lack of brotherly love. And so I'll get that out of the way right off the bat. I thank God for His mercy toward all of us. And yet, when the Lord leads us to a passage like this, and we may never in my lifetime pass this way again through these verses like this, I want to preach them as thoroughly as they should be preached, and I want to exhort us to reach higher and higher in the great grace of Christian humility, and that we might be more and more passionate to crucify the lust of our flesh that war in our members and come out of our members at times against each other so that we would hate pride. If we are going to only be an average church of the Lord Jesus Christ as measured by Him, I quit today. Because that is a disgrace to Him who saved us by grace. We want to give Him a palace that is not for man, but for the Lord, as David said. And we are not wasting our time like David did with brick and mortar. We are building it up with every living stone in this church. And we want to be known for our humility, forgiveness, forbearance, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, and all the related traits, virtues, that the Lord has called us to under this subject of humility. I had thought that I would be able to cover verses 5 through 10 today. I wrote you so. And as I continue to study, and I've written you and told you why I have to change, the subject is too important, and I want to deal with it thoroughly, and I don't want to distract us by going to a very different subject in verses 8 and 9, that is dealing with the devil. And I don't want to take that long today. I want it to be in a timely basis. You don't need multiplied witnesses until you can't remember any of them, and that happens at times. We just need enough to really convict us. Are we willing to reach outside ourselves and serve anyone in here? Serve any child in here? Serve anyone in here? Though they may have been raised very differently in a different part of the country or a different part of the world, none of that matters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, when we step outside this place, it doesn't matter there either. Because in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15 that I read to you, that does not apply just to the house of God. That applies to all men. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men is the commandment of Scripture. We're at 1 Peter chapter 5. The first four verses dealt specifically with the elders or ministers or bishops or pastors and teachers and their purpose and calling and job responsibilities of feeding the flock of God and taking the oversight of God's flocks. And that was in the first four verses. We come now to verses 5 through 7. Likewise, ye younger... Submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon Him, For He careth for you. Amen Amen and amen. The first four verses are directed to elders. The elders which are among you I exhort. So for those four verses, the Apostle Peter addressed ministers and told them about their job responsibilities 
and how they ought to do it this way and not that way by three comparisons. It's a twofold job by this passage, and that is to feed or teach the flock of God, providing all the nourishment for their growth and taking the oversight that is to lead and to rule them in uh, the various ways that I mentioned briefly uh, last Lord's Day. We want to come now to these three verses before us. Now, verse 5 has three main parts to it. The first one is a sentence. Then we have a compound clause and then another compound clause. The first part of the first sentence, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. What in the world do those words mean? Are they telling people that are under 40 to submit to people that are over 40? I alluded to that possible interpretation or probable interpretation last Lord's Day. If you would have asked me at any time in my 57 years when I had understanding, I would have told you that verse 5 of this chapter was probably just age-related. I reject that this morning and give you the truth of the passage, and I'm going to explain it to the best of my ability, but I'm not going to take a great deal of time with it. You can find out more later if you wish. But I also want for all the young men in this assembly to hear the effort, and all others, to hear the effort that has to take place to resolve differences, options, alternative interpretations like this one. There are so many of these in the Bible that no wonder Paul wrote to Timothy and said in that verse that many of us memorized a long time ago, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. As I first heard it explained to me, Paul wouldn't have said rightly divide the word of truth unless there were a lot of divisions to make. And there are a lot of divisions to make. When we look at a passage like this, and I'm talking about this first sentence of verse 5, is it a ranking of officers in the church as inferior ministers to superior bishops? Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Is the elder really an archbishop? And so we have degrees of eldership in the church of Jesus Christ. Is it a ranking of bishops according to age? For Timothy was young, but he had great authority in the early church. So we reject that one. Is it rising up to honor hoary heads, which is taught elsewhere in the Bible, but nowhere is it taught that you have to submit to hoary heads. You just show them honor. Is it those that are young in grace, as 1 John chapter 2 uses the expressions, little children, young men, and fathers, in spiritual understanding and experience, is it them that's being taught here? Here's the sense of the words. Likewise tips us off. There has got to be a similarity between this sentence and the first four verses. Likewise starts us off with this sentence by telling us that there has to be a similarity. The word likewise means in the like or same manner. Similarly. Also as well, moreover, too. That's what the word likewise means. Paul has already used Peter, excuse me. Peter has... We are Pauline Christians, aren't we? Because Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles, but that's no excuse for pulpit slips. Peter has already used this word likewise. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. Likewise. Remember what the word means. Likewise means in the like or similar manner. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. What has been talked about in the the previous verses? Subjection to first government authority then subjection to employment authority. Likewise. So there's submission to government, submission to employers, now submission by wives to husbands. Therefore, the word likewise makes perfectly good sense. Verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands. Well, now wait a minute. The wife is supposed to submit to the husband in verses 1 through 6. And I understand the likewise that introduces that six-verse paragraph in comparison to chapter 2, 
But what about the word likewise here addressed to husbands? The word likewise here is your role in marriage, similar to her role in marriage, is to dwell with them according to knowledge. It's not comparing submission. It's comparing the respective roles that they each have in marriage. So when we come to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, and we have that word likewise, what are we going to do with it? We know that verses 1 through 4 are specifically instructions, exhortation, to ministers in how they execute their office and to be faithful in the duties God has given them. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he will give them a crown of glory that fadeth not away. We understand this likewise here to be telling us that this first sentence of verse 5 has something in pretty strong agreement and similarity to verses 1 through 4. If we submit to this word likewise, holding us to the context, we will not easily introduce some new idea. And it would be a very new idea that young people in a church should submit to older people in a church. Where's the cutoff? Is it at 30, 40, 50? Where's the line that those under, or is it just anyone older than you, you should submit to them? If we take that position, we violate the word likewise because there's no comparison to what's gone before. If we take that position, it, it's, it, con, it conflicts and confuses what is said next when it says, yea, all of you be subject one to another. Wouldn't that already have taken care of honoring those that are of age? So what does it mean, pastor? The context to which we are directed by the word likewise is ministerial. The context is very clearly the ministerial oversight or rule that bishops have in churches. Since submission is the action and duty of this sentence, it must be to elders or ministers. In verses 1 through 4, the duty of ministers was stated. In verse 5, the first sentence, the duties of those under ministers is stated. Because of the, so far, because of the word likewise, and because I am a slave to context. I do not read the word likewise, discard it, and think, oh, younger and elder. Especially when it doesn't say younger members, and it doesn't say elder members. It's using these two adjectives in some sort of a special way because there's no noun attached. Submission was not taught in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 5, but bishops were taught to take the oversight, so the required similarity in this verse cannot be submission by some in some other way, but toward those ministers. If this first sentence is reduced to simply honoring age in the church, it is an inferior interpretation. Because it violates likewise, and because it is an inferior interpretation without much sense or meaning in the Word of God. Nowhere in the Bible are those that are young told to submit to those that are older. Though the Bible does teach that we are to rise up before the hoary head and to give honor to those that are older. But it doesn't say submit, and we've got the verb submit here in this first sentence. And I've just given you a variety of interpretations that some have made. It's not a ranking of officers in the church like Catholics and others would believe. It's not a ranking of bishops according to age so that younger bishops should submit to older bishops because Timothy was a younger bishop and he was in authority over other bishops that would have been older than him. And he was told to let no man despise his youth in 1 Timothy 4.12. It's not rising up before hoary heads. All that is left to determine... Whether the, all that is left to determine is whether the language of this sentence will allow what I just said it means. What I just said it means is that those under the oversight, authority, leadership, and rule of God's ministers, His bishops, elders, pastors, and teachers, should submit to them. And I'm doing that on the basis of the context of verses 1 through 4, and on the basis of the word likewise, that in that instruction there is some similarity and relationship to what was said in verses 1 through 4. So all that is left is, does the language of that sentence allow that? Since it says younger and it says elder. 
It doesn't say younger members and it doesn't say elder members. It is using adjectives hanging there by themselves to be used in some special way. Now we had read to us, and I need you to turn there now, holding your hand at 1 Peter 5, to Luke chapter 22, that was read to you by our brother Jim a few minutes ago. Bishops, pastors, and teachers, the elders, why are they called elders? Timothy wasn't old. Why are they called elders? Because in the history of the world, convention and the usual course of things were that the older men in any society, civil or ecclesiastical, were wiser and more fit to have any position of leadership. So they've always been called elders, whether you were in Moab or you were in Egypt. Whether you were in Israel of the Old Testament or Israel of the New Testament, the word elders is just commonly used as a general term to describe rulers civilly or ecclesiastically. Oh, that big word. Ecclesiastically, that means in the church or religiously because they were usually older. Hold on, hold that. Grip that tight. Why was they called, but not, but that wasn't the absolute rule because Timothy proves that it wasn't the absolute rule. But in general, in general, do you want to humble yourself and submit yourself to a 30 year old man or a 70 year old man? 30 year old men that have as much wisdom as a 70 year old man are exceptions to the rule. And so they've just been called elders. As I tried to teach you last Lord's Day, the word elders is just a general term and it's not, it's not job specific. It doesn't really give us any direction. Bishops, pastors, and teachers, the elders of the first four verses, were conventionally and usually the older men. Elders became that general title for civil or ecclesiastical rulers by connection to mature age. The Jews, by God's word, honored age so carefully that age terms could mean subjection. I'm going to prove it to you momentarily. Thus, the words younger and elder are descriptive terms distinguishing church members and their elders, church members and their bishops, church members and their pastors, church members and those God has given oversight over them in the church. The two adjectives, younger and elder, have no attached nouns indicating a special use. Now watch the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we're supposed to study the Bible. And I am no martyr, and don't pity me, because I am thankful to God for putting me in this office, though I am the least of all His servants. But I want you to know that there is a great deal of sweat. A great deal of mental sweat. Every Lord's Day, every Wednesday, before you hear anything out of this pulpit. And it's not because of the greatness of the man in the pulpit, it's because of the integrity of the pulpit and the men that trained me and the men that charged me and told me to rightly divide the word of truth all the way back to Paul that put it in writing to me. Amen. And it is a painful process. And I grieve and I grope and I pray and I beg and I work and I list alternatives and I work at probabilities and I look at what fits the word of God best. But remember, context is my master. If you walk by, I know this is simple and I know you've heard it before, but let me remind you of it. If you walk by and hear me saying to someone else, I beat my wife last night, please do not spread that to the church in an email that the pastor had a fight last night with his wife and beat her up. I may have beat her to bed. I may have beat her in Monopoly. I may have beat her home from the store. But remember, all of that is context and it is so crucial did, weren't we taught about the first grade when the teacher asked you to spell a word that you're supposed to say, Teacher, would you please use that in a sentence for me? Luke chapter 22. We've got the apostles arguing as Brother Jim explained to you. And the Lord Jesus Christ tells them in verse 25, We are not like the Gentiles in their civil arrangements of exercising lordship over each other. And those that exercise authority are called benefactors like there's some special person that distributes taxes to others and called a benefactor. You know, we, we don't use terms like that, the Lord Jesus Christ says. Here's what I want you men to do. Verse 26, But ye shall not be so. We're not going to be like them. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. Now watch me. I mean, I love 
the Word of God. Here the Lord Jesus Christ is using a hanging adjective without a noun, and He's describing those that are under authority. For For those that consider themselves... Verse 26, He that is greatest among you, the one that might have the most authority, let him be as the younger. Because what are the younger like? They don't have authority. They're under authority. And he goes on to say, to help us understand what he's arguing, and he that is chief, the chief among you apostles, should be like him that serves. Should be like a servant. So here we have a use of the word younger as an adjective without a noun, describing to us someone under authority. So I come back to my likewise. I look at what comes next in verse 5, and I realize, yea, all of you, all of you be subject to one another, and I realize this is not some mutual submission to each other. This is not young people submitting to older people, which is not taught in the Bible. This is directed by the context because of the word likewise. And so I am propelled, I am pushed, and I am forced, and I thank the Lord for it, that the first sentence of verse 5 is, Following up verses 1 through 4, explaining you younger, you that are under authority, playing off the word elder, because elder has taken on a meaning here of an office of the church that is ordinarily associated with age, and so younger is ordinarily associated with age as those being under authority, but not always. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder." Meaning, you church members that are under the authority of those that are supposed to take the oversight thereof, submit yourselves to those men and obey them. Which is taught throughout the pages of Scripture, and I don't have time to go there and to deal with that any further. Submit yourselves unto the elder. We went over some of those verses last Lord's Day, that in First Timothy chapter 3, a minister is supposed to rule his own family well because how else shall he take care of the church of God because it involves a degree of leadership and ruling and management just like taking care of a family. Hebrews 13, 7, verse 17, verse 24 of Hebrews 13 is to obey them that have the rule over you. To esteem them in 1 Thessalonians 5 who have spoken unto you the word of God and who are over you in the Lord. Those verses we, we dealt enough with last Lord's Day. I just We just got past that first sentence. That first sentence, and remember, the verse divisions in our Bible are a recent addition to the Scriptures. And so the first sentence of verse 5 doesn't have to be in a verse... I love it just the way it is. Because it's confusing and challenging and forces us to review context and to find Luke 22 and verse 26. And what a blessing it was. There's the word younger, and it's not referring to age at all, except by indirect association that usually those that are younger are under authority, but it's referring to those that are greatest should act like they're under authority. So, Lord, I love You and I thank You. Ask me, where did our ancient fathers in the faith stand? They understood it the way I explain it to you. But only one or two of them knew about Luke 22 and verse 26. I love the Word of God. And do you know that it tells us to compare spiritual things with spiritual? And when it says that in 1 Corinthians 2.13, to compare spiritual things with spiritual, what is it talking about? It's a five-letter word that is words. In the words which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So we care about the Spirit's use of words, and we find the Spirit using that word younger in a way that fits the sense that we gave on this verse, and we gave this sense on this verse because of context, which is a very chief rule of interpreting anyone's writings or anyone's speech. You've got to know the context or the setting for that particular sentence. We go on. Yay! You know, now that I've dealt with the ministry and their oversight of you and their feeding of you and your submission to them, yea, now that we've dealt with the specific, let's get more general. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Thank you, Lord. 
In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, it would be, Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord should, after we take care of the religious roles that we have as pastor and people, after that, we should all want to submit to each other. We should all choose to submit to each other. We should be in subjection to each other. That is making someone else, everyone else more important than we are. That is exalting them. That is preferring them. That is esteeming them and their things higher than us and our things. We should do that. This is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of those one and other duties that should be carefully observed in God's Word. Look at, look at those words. We are now to the middle part of verse 5. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Now this subjection one to another cannot reverse the roles and relationships that we have. Because we have this here, this does not mean that husbands should be subject to wives in marriage. It doesn't mean parents should be subject to children in families. It doesn't undo the first four and a half verses by saying pastors should be subject to church members in the administration of the church. But do you know what? In every other way, when we're in here, we are one body and there is, there is, listen, if he's going to be chief, let him be servant. If he's the greatest, let him be as the younger. There are no distinctions in here. We should all be willing to serve and to get down and to be personal and intimate and serve one another and to be in subjection to them and their needs, them and their preferences, them and their desires, so that we are all of one mind, one heart, one voice, one judgment before the eyes of the living God and the Lord Jesus Christ with whom we have to deal. How does God expect each church member to be subject to every other church member? Hear me, hear me again. This rule cannot confound authority relationships. It can't reverse those. This rule must include authority relationships because it says be subject. So we'll allow it to include that. However, this rule cannot be limited to authority roles for the attendant humility isn't limited to authority roles. When it says, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. So when we read that middle part, it can't mean, I'm going to go back and just rip in wives. Wives should be in subjection to their husbands. Because then husbands wouldn't be called to have any humility. This is all of us to every other one of us should be in subjection. And let's look at how that could possibly take place. Members, before I, before, you know, ministers are to be examples. Remember what we learned in verse three and four? That ministers are not to be lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And what we just read in Luke 22, 26 is that someone that's going to be chief or someone that's going to be greatest in authority should exercise that office by being as the younger or being as a servant. And so when we come in here, Though there are authority relationships that we have between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between pastor and people, between master and servants, yet putting those aside, there is a way in which we are all each other's servants, subject to each other, under each other, esteeming each other to be of great importance. And this is part of humility. Before we get to the word humility, it is to subject ourselves to everyone else in here. Is there anyone in this body that you would not do something for? It's the true measure of subjection. If they wanted something, would you get it for them? If they needed something, would you do it for them? When was the last time you hugged or spoke to one of our little children under the age of 10? Told them how glad you were to see them. There should be no distinctions in here. Brother Orville read us that passage, the first six verses of Matthew 18. Lord, teach us that. Members should quickly seek to resolve any offenses they have caused. If you are gripped by the need to go to someone you've offended and make that right, that's being in subjection to them because you're making them more important. 
You've wronged them. You're not going to wait for them to come to you. You're going to go to them. Matthew chapter 5 tells us to do that. If you come to the altar with your gift, Jesus said, and you remember there that your brother hath aught against thee, leave your gift and go get right with your brother. That's making him very important. That's being in subjection to him. You know, it doesn't mean that we tell each other what cars we're going to drive, where we're going to live in town, or, or ridiculous, you know, foolish things like that, but there are very real ways in the New Testament taught and I've got 23 in a list that, that the New Testament teaches, and let me just quickly give you some of these. I just gave you one. Quickly seek to resolve any offenses that you might have caused to anyone else because God doesn't want your gift. He doesn't want your service or worship until you've taken care of that with that more important person. Members should submit to the accusations of others and forgive them quickly. Matthew 18, if someone comes to you and says, Brother, this offended me, what should we do? Make them have to go and get two or three more? Make them have to take it to the church? No. We should make it right. You know, in the example of our children swinging the jigsaw on its power cord, we replace the stupid jigsaw. And if they had a Black & Decker, which is about the lowest level of the feeding order of tools, Get them something better when you buy it for them. That's being in subjection to them. They come to you and say, you did not treat my jigsaw right. You humbly, in subjection, say, I'll make it right, brother. And then you go to Lowe's and find something better than a Black & Decker. Just as an example. This is... This is humility and this is being in subjection to one another because it's something that we can all do toward each other. It doesn't overthrow authority relationships. It doesn't undermine anything else in Scripture. It embraces a whole lot of other points that are made in Scripture. Members should seek the lowest role in the church until pulled up higher. We had that read to us by Brother Chris. Luke chapter 14. Wasn't that good? If you're invited to a wedding, don't go sit at an important table. Oh, and the Lord Jesus, He didn't reason about your name being written in the book of life. He reasoned about public shame, didn't He? You've gone and sat at an important table in a public assembly or a public meeting like a wedding. And the master of ceremonies has somebody more important than you that comes through the back door. He has to bring Him up in front of everyone and throw you out. That's just horrible. Aren't you embarrassed just reading it? And so the Lord says, there's another way to approach meetings. When you're invited to a wedding, sit in the lowest seat possible. Sit in the back corner for the dunce cap guy. Sit in an obscure corner. Then the master of ceremonies will, in front of everyone, come back and elevate you to a more appropriate seat. That is the wisdom of the Christian religion. That is the wisdom of our religious teacher. We are the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is masterful religion. And he called it a parable. I love his parables. That's just an excellent lesson. So we should seek the lowest role in the church until someone pulls us higher. We shouldn't be seeking a more important role. We should let that happen by God's direction to someone else. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. Being in subjection to one another is making them more important, lifting them up, and doing what we can to serve them. It doesn't mean overthrowing authority relationships. It doesn't become, it doesn't mean becoming dictators in each other's lives and matters of liberty, like where you live and whether your house is bricked or not. Nothing like that. It's, it's all these aspects of our religion and, and the body that the Lord has made us. We are a body. You know, every part of my body is in subjection to the other parts of... Do you know that about your body? It's all tied together so that all parts are in subjection to each other. If my legs want to go for a run, my hands and elbows go with them. Because legs, you get to choose today. You know, when we get back, elbow is crying out, we're going to take a nap. And legs, you're going to lie there motionless on the sofa. I'm making all of this up for you. We're a body. 
And so we are all tied into each other and we are in subjection to each other so that the entire body of all these different separate parts functions together as one whole because it's all subordinate to the whole by being in subjection to each other. Romans 12.10 Be kindly affectioned one to another. There is that one another duty again. Be kindly affectioned one to another. Yes, I harp on this point. Because our religion is proven by one relationship at a time. It is what you do as one church member toward each of the other church members. One to another. Another is a singular pronoun. One is a singular pronoun. One to another. It's a wonderful compound pronoun. Reciprocal pro. I love it. It's just powerful when we look at the Word of God. When it says... Be kindly affectioned one to another. It just doesn't mean love the church. We can excuse ourselves by saying, I love the church. Well, show it one member at a time. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Two times in one verse, we have the one another compound pronoun. Preferring one another. Every one of you should prefer every other member considered one at a time as being more important than you. You prefer them. This is the Word of the Lord to us. This is, yay, all of you be subject one to another. Romans 12.10 is just beautiful. Look at it. Be kindly affectioned one to another. Do you have kind affection... Do you have good and gentle love toward every other member considered individually with brotherly love? In honor, preferring one another. Do you want to honor and prefer, lift up and make special every other member considered one at a time? Do you know how great great God is? He took the most selfish man that he could find out of three and a half billion when I was a little boy, now it's seven billion. He took a little boy that grew into a very selfish teenager that was the most selfish person he could find on earth and he taught him by his grace to love these one another compound pronouns in the Bible. And I hope before God I love every one of you in here and I would prefer you and I would rather do what you want to have done than I want to have done in every matter that I can allow you to make that choice even though I'm your pastor. And I want all of us to feel that way and to to delight in those things. You know, when I ran into Sylvia's penthouse suite, I, I don't know if it's called a penthouse suite, a presidential suite, Mary had that thing a year ago, That just excites me to no end. I wanted to have the Wednesday evening service in that suite. We could have got in there. It would have been cozy. It's wonderful. We want to prefer one another. You know, put me in a mop closet when I'm in there. Stand me up straight so that I'll fit. And I'm not faking anything. We want to always esteem each other. And in honor, prefer them. I take too long on each one of these, we are in serious trouble. Uh, but I want you to embrace that verse and understand what it means when in 1 Peter 5.5, 5, yea, all of you be subject one to another. Right. How can we be subject one to another? That would mean I've got to start submitting to my wife and letting her rule me? No, it doesn't mean that. It means, can they tell me that I have to brick up my house if it's a frame house? No, it's not that. It's these things taught in the Bible that we, we prefer each other and we lift each other up and we want to serve each other and make them and their things more important than we and our things. This is the religion of Jesus because if we don't practice this and we are as great as the apostles, guess what we will be doing at the next fatted calf feast? Guess what we will be doing next Sunday while we're observing the Lord's Supper? We'll be wondering among ourselves who is the greatest that Brother Jim read to us from Luke 22. Is that hard for you to believe? Or is it easy for you to believe knowing the raging lion that's inside of you? And I don't mean the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
I mean a different lion. The one that walks about seeking whom he may devour. It's horrible. And so we get down and get subject to each other. I want to do it your way. I hope that we have some families after this second assembly today standing in the churchyard. No, I want to go eat where you want to eat. No, where you want to eat comes back the response. And I have to go settle it. We'll be casting lots this afternoon because we want to prefer one another. But remember, to get two couples out there that want to take each other out to eat, ah, this pastor will be very happy. And the Lord in heaven, who's the chief shepherd of the sheep, will be very happy that two families have wanted to prefer someone else and take them out to eat rather than just go home and eat themselves. Oh Lord, help us to just embrace this and to be that body. Remember, we are a body. We don't have fingers running off or elbows running off, but we're all coordinated by each other. That which every joint supplies, we're subject to each other because Christ is the head. And we want to be the best body. If we're not going to be the best body, let's close up. Let's distribute the assets wherever they should go. And let's call it quits. I'm going to go do it somewhere else. Because we want to be the best. And I believe that you all want to be the best. And I believe that we're well on the way. But I want us to increase yet more and more. As Paul and Jesus would say if they were here to speak to us personally. Look at that 16th verse of Romans 12. Be of the same mind one toward another. Can we get our minds agreeing with even a child? Can we get our minds agreeing with even someone in here that was raised differently than we are, were, and thinks differently than we do? Be of the same mind, one toward another. Mind not high things. Forget those things that you think make you special. Forget high things outside of this body. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Let's reach down, whether it's a child, whether it's low educational attainments, whether it's low intellectual gifts from God, whether it's poor social training by parents in school, no matter what the difference is, whether it's cultural or national or racial, whatever the differences are, let us condescend to men of low estate. Let's get down with them. Be not wise in your own conceits. If you think you're wise and you're special and you're different than anyone else in here, that is your conceit. That is conceit. That is another word for pride. And we don't want it. We want to hate it. Lord, help us. Romans 12 is powerful. I preached it to you a couple of years ago when we were there in that chapter. You know, chapter 14 was about Christian liberties. Members should value Christian liberties of others more than their own. It should be your pleasure not to do something that might offend another brother or a visitor or anyone. We do not have to press our liberties anywhere, but we can show our mercy and love. Members should bear the infirmities of the weak and not please ourselves. Look at Romans 15, verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Is that being subject to someone when you say, I will be your beast of burden? Go ahead and put your burdens on me. Tell me about your burdens. I will take them to the Lord. I will help you in the matter in any way that I can. You know, some bore your burden in the front yard, James. Bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ, it says in Galatians chapter 6. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. That's being made subject to the weak. Do you know what we intend to think in our pride and conceit? Look at that weakling. Why is this bothering them so much? Why don't they grow up? Why don't they get stronger? Haven't they heard the preaching? Why are they so weak? Oh, aren't you thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ has never said that about you? He comes and picks you up in His arms like a little lamb and carries you 
after you foolishly ran off. And so we're supposed to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us, look at, look at the terminology, let every one of us please his neighbor, singular, for his good to edification. That's what it means to be subject to each other. When you come in here, what you want more than anything else is to help each other prosper in the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ, to grow in their faith, to grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6-7 says that it is better to suffer defrauding than to go press an issue that has cost you something. That's a wonderful verse. It is better to suffer defrauding. What if they came and said that the jigsaw was your fault and it wasn't your fault? You know, instead of a $19 Black & Decker, would an $89 skill bother you? Would you want to fight about it? Unbelievable what people will fight about with money. It's amazing to me. The cheapest of all things in the universe, money, you want to fight about it in the house of God. Do you know we should just want to blow it off? Take a loss for the cause of Christ and He'll make you rich in the end. In one way or always. Trust Him. But the Bible says, suffer yourself to be defrauded. Now is that being subject to someone when you let them defraud you? That fits the bill, doesn't it? When you let someone defraud you, that fits the bill of 1 Peter 5, 5b. And to be, that is to be subject one to another. 1 Corinthians 13 in its 15 phrase definition of love starts off, charity suffereth long. If you're suffering to let someone else get away with something, is that being subject to them? Just trying to fill out the definition of that word. You know, is it right to denigrate yourself from time to time to exalt others? The Apostle Paul said it was. He says, it is not meet that I should be called an apostle. Was it not meet that he should be called an apostle? We would call him the greatest apostle. Did he ever say that he was less than the least of all saints? Is that just foolish talking? Or is it proper sometimes to be subject to others and to denigrate ourselves so that we can honor them? Can you confess your faults one to another and pray one for another? The Bible says you should to be subject to to them. If the righteous smite me, I'll count it a kindness. That's being subject to someone, letting them hit you, then being happy about it, then praying blessings upon them for doing it. That's all in Psalm 141 and verse 5. You know, members should humbly serve one another with the spirit of foot washing. Do you come into this church with a towel wrapped around your waist, metaphorically looking for someone that you can stoop and wash their dirty feet? I'm not talking about that ridiculous primitive Baptist Mennonite grace brethren ordinance of washing clean feet. That didn't prove anything. I'm talking about washing dirty feet. Do you come in with a towel? Jesus girded himself with a towel. He was ready. He had that ugly towel wrapped around his waist. Do you know how ugly a towel is wrapped around your waist when you're out in public? And he was ready to kneel down and wash dirty feet. The Lord of glory. If I, then your Lord and Master, notice what terms he pulls in. If I, then your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. That's being subject one to another. And be clothed with humility. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. And be clothed with humility. We want to put on ourselves a garment of humility. Humility is the quality of having a lowly opinion of yourself. Meekness, lowliness. It is the opposite of pride or haughtiness. The garment to cover each church member, thus to beautify every action, should be humility. Everywhere we go, people should see the humility because it's our garment that we've put on. We are clothed with something. And we read about it in Colossians 3, verses 12-15, through when we started this morning with that four-verse description of humility and forbearance and long-suffering and meekness and gentleness and goodness and forgiveness. So we're supposed to put on this garment in 1 Peter 5. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. So as we do this, we don't want to do it 
out of some duty. We want to do it out of preference for others and truly a low assessment of ourselves. Can we get down? There is a roaring impulse. It is a spirit that is in us that lusts to envy. It resents others. It exalts self always, 24-7. This monster is with us. To avoid the lust of the eyes, we can avoid going places where there are things that we could see to excite that lust. To avoid the lust of the flesh, we can put constraints on what we drink, how long we sleep, on what we eat. But for the pride of life, how do you fight against it? It is with us 24-7. You can't go any place that you do not bring it along with you. It is inside you. It's in your dreams. It's in your thoughts. It's in your fantasies. It's in your reflections. It's in every phone conversation. Every time you hear a sentence from someone else, there is a matter of pride in you that wants to fight it, that wants to argue about it, that wants to respond with something that sets you up just one inch higher than that person just said about what has happened to them. And it's a constant war. And we are to be clothed with humility. That means to put on a garment so that every word, every thought, every action is covered by this garment of humility. It beautifies our every action. When you put clothing on, it goes with you everywhere. And it is what everyone else sees about you. At the end of a day, did you see so-and-so today? Yeah, yeah, I saw them. What were they wearing? Oh, he had a red shirt and khakis on. Who cares about the red shirt and who cares about the khakis? Yes, I ran into him today. That is the humblest church member we have. All he wanted to do was ask about this and this in our lives. Wanted to pray for me on the spot. Said he cares very deeply about the things that, that we care about because he's clothed with humility. Everywhere we go, everyone we deal with, you know, fast food waitresses, fast food drive through operators. Yes, Sherry, I hear from time to time. Clothed with humility. Can I sit there and let them turn fast food into slow food? And smile and tell them that I hope they have a great day without falling into the fryer. It's humility. Who's more important, them or me, in that little exchange that the Lord arranges? Or someone who's texting or speaking on a cell phone in front of me when a light turns green? I thought green meant pedal to the metal. I'm just, listen, I'll go after each one of you if you don't like what I do about myself. Humility. Why do we want to fight so quickly, argue so fast, exalt our opinions, put down others, exalt ourselves? Lord, help us. When you put clothing on, it goes with you everywhere, and it is the image all others see. The memory others should have of you is the robe that covers your words and your deeds. Humility. If you have great zeal for the house of the Lord, let it be ordained with a robe of humility. If you have superior intelligence by the gift of God, let it be reduced to average by being clothed in humility. If you have more assets than others by God's mercy, give more and condescend deeper than the rest to get down to us lowly average ones. No matter who you are, what you have done or can do, or what you possess, get down. Condescend to men of low estate is how the Bible would say it. The success and glory of churches is by humility of each one toward each other member. You should be girded with that towel, ready to stoop, kneel, and wash dirty feet of others. Your spirit should be the same as David the king. I would happily be only a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Do not ask what your church can do for you, but rather only ask what you can do for them. That's humility. Do not ask the church to pray for you, until you've asked prayer for the needs of ten others. That's humility. Give God the entire credit, honor, and glory for anything you are, have, or ever hope to be. 
This article of clothing makes a man or woman glorious to God and to all that are His. This adorns religion as quickly and completely as any virtue, for it is so contrary to human nature. The world does love those that love them, but the world does not know humility of the sort we are talking about. The Bible humility is not head-hanging, pious-talking, or meek-looking, but rather service to the lowly. It means to get down and do something for them. It isn't something that can be seen with the eyes or heard with the ears all as much as witnessed in the actions toward those that cannot repay you. Look at Proverbs chapter 13 with me. Proverbs chapter 13. Be clothed with humility. When people see us, we want them to see humility because we've put on that garment. We're meek. We're modest. We're gentle. We're forgiving. We're forbearing. We're long-suffering. We're patient. Proverbs 13 and verse 10. By pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Is that what it says? Only by pride cometh contention. Is there any contention in your life? Is there any strife in your life? Is there any war? Hot war or cold war? Is there any grudge? Is there any quarrel? It only exists by one cause. Your pride. Not their pride. Your pride. It doesn't matter if they have pride because you can forgive them their pride and humble yourself anyway and let them win and give them their way and say, I'm sorry. Are you able to say those words easily, readily, quickly, sincerely, thoroughly, repetitively to someone that you haven't wronged, but they feel wronged? That's the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only by pride cometh contention. You know, Zach read James chapter 4 and verse 1 to us. Whence come wars and fightings among you? Where, how can the church of God and the twelve tribes scattered abroad be guilty of having fightings among them? Because of pride. The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. Later on in that James chapter 4, James asked this question by the Holy Ghost. Does the Spirit speak in vain? Is that inspired in the Bible in vain? Because it's not really the case that we all just really love each other? Or does the Spirit that dwelleth in us lust to envy? It wants to push itself and its will and its thoughts in a matter over someone else. A servant says, yes, sir. I'm sorry, sir, for disappointing you. I'm sorry, sir, for not doing it your way. You are right. I could have been more thoughtful. I could have been more diligent. I could have been more thorough. Please forgive me. What can I do to make it up to you? Oh, Lord, bless us with such a spirit. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. You know how Proverbs are written. You have one clause and a second clause, and they are to be contrasted and compared to get the full sense of the meaning. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is a humble man, and wisdom is shown in his life, not by fighting, but by wise peace-dwelling with everyone else. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. While you're here in Proverbs, let's just get this out of the way. 21 and verse 24. Proverbs 21, 24. Proud and haughty scorner is his name who dealeth in proud wrath. What do you get upset about? Why would you hurt someone's feelings? Why would you leave someone? Why would you walk away? Why would you slam a door, toss your head, roll your eyes, or do anything toward them? The Bible tells us why you did it. It says so. Proud and haughty scorner is his name who dealeth in proud wrath. Let's not do anything in anger. Let's not do anything especially in proud anger. Because you should be renamed. Instead of having Jacob's name changed to Israel, your name should be changed to proud and haughty scorner. 
Lord, teach us. Charity, the greatest. Now by the faith, hope, charity, these three, with the greatest of these is charity, vaunteth not itself. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, seeketh not her own. You do not want your way. You want their way. It is not just in this church. It is with those outside this church. Because we are to have that garment of humility on wherever we go. That was a humble person. Whether they say it out loud or not, who cares? All we want is the God of heaven to look down whose eyes behold the evil and the good in every place and to see us being humble. It's a gift that you can give Him. You know, it's a gift that I can give Him when I punch my seat belt and shoulder harness in. I'm way over that now, but you know, to punch it in, it's a gift that I get to give to the Lord because I think it's ridiculous in my flesh. They're wise. They want to protect me more than I want to protect me. They're wiser than I am. I'll grant you that. But listen, I'm just using that as an example. Everyone in here that's a teenager, if you'll honor your parents, if you'll love your parents, if you'll be open to your parents, if you will open up your hearts to your parents, if you will disclose what you're thinking about to your parents, you can give God a gift that is rare in the earth. Every one of us has these opportunities. And right today, the gift that we can give the Lord is humility in all that we say and do. All that we think about other people. Lord, help us to do this. Charity does not vaunt itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't seek its own. When you love another person and you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, then you let them have their way. Let's be back kissers of others rather than backbiters. And make sure that you don't work in a backdoor compliment about yourself in a conversation. Why would you ever want to talk about yourself in a conversation? Could you help me understand that? You know you're going to work it around to giving yourself a backdoor compliment in whatever topic is at hand. That you're going to end up complimenting yourself through the back door that you know a lot about that topic. Why would that ever happen? You should be inquiring about others. You should be asking about them. Because they and their things, they and their job, they and their year of 2014, they and their wife or husband, they and their children, they and their house are more important at all times than you and your house, wife, children, year, health, or anything else. This is being clothed with humility because we don't want the conversation to deal with us because we're not worthy of it, because we're clothed in humility. That means that other people are more important than us. Always think and speak the best of others and the least of yourself and your things. Put up with other offenses. Be glorious and pass over their offenses because you're not really important enough to defend. Promote rejoicing and weeping for the honor or suffering of others. You know, I love writing the updates to you. I love every tidbit that you'll share with me. And please, I'm begging. I'm begging. Tell me everything that's going on in the church so that we can honor those that have been honored and we can rejoice with those that have been honored and we can weep with those that weep and weep with those that are suffering. I love hearing about promotions on the job. I love hearing about holes being dug in yards. I love all that stuff. Because if we're going to be a humble church, then that means we get excited when God does something good for someone. What's the tallest mark on the landscape of downtown Greenville? That's cutting right to the chase, brother. You saved me two sentences. It's called the landmark building. It's a landmark of Greenville. I want to drive downtown this afternoon just to see it again and to look way up there and to know that Joel's got his office on the 22nd floor looking down on me anytime I get near downtown. I hope that you and I are so transparent before each other that you know I mean that 105%. It is awesome. <laughs> the Lord was so good to him, so we want to rejoice about it. You know, I don't 
you know, we don't want to embarrass him too much, but we're going to embarrass everybody a little bit when I have a chance. It's just a great story. You know, not only did he get, oh boy, from the 5th to the 22nd, that's just a long way up. My ears would pop to go see him in his office. Oh, this is what it means to be clothed with humility, to exalt others, because notice what it said. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. That middle part of 1 Peter 5, 5. Do you ask about others and avoid talking about your own things as much as possible? Do you listen well? Or are you thinking about what you are going to say to them next? That's just a bad, bad habit. Do you compliment freely? Or do you criticize better? Or working yourself into the mix of the conversation more important? Do you ask know-it-all questions if someone gets something new? Or do you kindly praise them? Oh, there's... Do not let your right hand know what your left hand does when you do something for someone. Love to forgive and rejoice in mercy. It's part of humility. This is as far as we'll go. What have we learned so far? The first sentence of 1 Peter 5.5 pertains to verses 1-4 through about being in submission to those that are put over us ecclesiastically, religiously in the church. But then it says, Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Let's get down, let's condescend, let's serve, let's exalt, let's esteem each other and their things more important than our own, and be clothed with humility. Let's let... What, what, what was he wearing? You know, that red shirt and khakis. No. Let's not be known for what we're wearing this way. Let's be known for our humility. Because we cover and adorn and drape everything, our thoughts... Our body language, our facial countenance, our words, and our actions with humility. The Lord Jesus Christ did not lift up His voice in the streets. He told those that He healed, don't tell anyone about this. He was so humble, and He humbled Himself to death, even the death of the cross for us. And Paul would say in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let's get down and serve one another. I commend you in Jesus' name for the great, loving, serving, humble church that you overall are. I mean that before the Lord. I would not say it. But listen, I want to give him the best. I want to give him the best. When David saw that a hundred million had been raised for the temple of the Lord, he didn't say, stop your giving. He wanted more because he wanted it exceeding magnificent. And we want to increase yet more and more in these graces and virtues that the Lord considers so important. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.